0: The entire team at the Emsolation podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians and cultures of the lands and seas on which we live and work. We pay our respects to all First Nations peoples, elders and ancestors. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and stand in solidarity towards a shared future. I personally want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast every week, the Wurundjeri people. I recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place I call home. Always was, always will be.
1: M. And
0: I think maybe because I wanted to make a professional, my brain was like, uh-huh, OK, bitch, and went completely
1: the other way. And Michael Lucas. Oh, likewise with you. Can't wait. And just remember, if it's too fatty, just heat it up. This is Emsolation. I was working for Baz Luhrmann.
0: Oh, oh, just pick
1: that name, huh? Oh, no, but, it, yeah, I was. You're in Emsolation. Right.
0: Well, hello there, and welcome to Salation. My name is Em Rassiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a neurodivergent magic brain. Specifically, I have ADHD combination type, hyper and inattentive. Oh yeah, I got the jackpot. I'm also on the autism spectrum, and this is my podcast. Now, normally, I'm joined by my best friend since I was 11, screenwriter Mr. Michael Lucas. But this week we have a very special chat. It's an emulation conversation with Dr. Perry Mandanis. And if you're here because you're a fan of his, welcome. You're most welcome to this podcast. Our other episodes are a little bit different to this, <laughs> but I encourage you if you are brave and bold and like, uh, over the top out of control, pop culture, political chats. You will enjoy us. But this week is a very special in conversation with Dr. Perry Mandanis, who is a man that I came across on Instagram Reels in the most dire of times. He appeared as a shiny bright light. He is a psychiatrist, a therapist, a coach, an ADHD and mental health storyteller. And um, a lot of you were aware of him before I was. And his videos really, really saved me. What you're going to hear is a chat we had. Initially, I turned up 24 hours early for this chat <laughs> because I got the time wrong and I couldn't figure out the difference between New York and Melbourne, but we got there in the end. He was very gracious with his time. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram at perry.mandanis.MD. His videos are incredible. He also has a podcast called Couch Stories uh, we're going to get straight into this chat where um, I didn't record me saying hello to him, but I want you to know I did. <laughs> it's so great. Have a pen and paper ready. You're going to want to take notes or have your voice memos ready. Don't rely on your memories because if you're here, there's a chance you're a and your memory's rubbish. But this is so great. So many great ideas. I um, I I hope that you walk away feeling a bit lighter and and seen and like there's a way forward if you're here and not sure you know maybe you are neurodivergent maybe you aren't maybe you're here because you love someone who is well done on educating yourself whatever has brought you to this episode I'm glad and grateful for so please enjoy my chat we get straight into it we're both the musical theater nerds there's no hello here he is the wonderful Dr Perry Mandanis (laughs)
1: M. and Michael Lucas. This is MSilation.
0: Thank goodness for your feed. It's been very important to me over the past little while, so thank, thank you. you for
2: doing those. Over my many years in practice as a psychiatrist and medical doctor, I have met lots of people, children and adults with ADHD. Of course, they come to see me first for their problems. But one of the things that I have noticed that all these people seem to have in common is a long list of very special skills. For one, they are resilient. Because of their ADHD, they've had to learn how to adapt, overcome hardship, and push through to still be successful. That's an incredibly strong skill that serves them well in adulthood. I really appreciate that. It's happened um, rather suddenly. You know, I mean, I, I really, I'm very new to social media. Um,
0: what? No, you're an expert. I see those videos. Someone. Well, <laughs> well, then someone has really trained you well because you're really no. engaging oh, with you're it. You're gonna all. love
2: this. You will love this. I was a musical theater major. I can tell. <laughs> and then I went to medical school. So I think it's kind of all coming together for me now, I suppose. <laughs>
0: yes. I, too, am a musical theatre, well, nerd. So I
2: assume this much. Yes, yeah. yes.
0: No, it's um, they're very good. And when I was diagnosed, they started just getting sent to me by my community, by my followers. And um, initially I was like, why, why am I being sent? Because I, I couldn't hear the sound. I could just see you. And I'm like, this is, this is a doctor from America. And then I would turn it on. and I'm like, oh, he's camp. Oh, he gets it. Thank you. You're welcome. Dr. Perry, I'll do a whole big fancy intro for you pre-recorded, so we'll just get straight into the chat. What made you specialise specifically in ADHD and neurodivergent women? Because it seems that's your sweet spot.
2: You know, I think mostly because they've been underserved. And I think because in 35 years of practice, I have discovered so many mothers who um, while their child was being diagnosed, um, the light bulb went off in my consultation room that they had as well. And so it seemed like, wow, you know, this is a group of people that no one talks about, understands, thinks about. And, you know, I mean, part of that is just the sexism of history for centuries I mean you know we're going to talk about that I'm sure yes um but mostly it's I came about it um indirectly yep. because I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist so mm. most of my patients are school-aged children yep. and then their parents just kind of got found out really by accident
0: <laughs> yes, I,
2: yes.
0: <laughs> well after I was diagnosed last year I was 42 and I was accused yep. of jumping on a a fad or jumping on the ADHD bandwagon and there was a lot of oh oh, everyone's being diagnosed with ADHD now and I never really know what to say in response to that so what what should I say in response to that why are so many women being diagnosed uh, you know past 35
2: you know I think it's um a lot to say about that good you know first of all Um, For starters, the facts are that girls are still very much underdiagnosed worldwide. Mm. So if girls are underdiagnosed, then it stands to reason that women will be left undiagnosed when they're older. Boys, on the other hand, at least in the United States, are overdiagnosed, not to the degree where we have a problem, really, but still boys are being overdiagnosed. And I think that these girls who had ADHD all along mm. grow up to be undiagnosed women, many of whom have that aha moment while they're in the session with their child. And I also think girls are a little bit more difficult to diagnose because, as you know, mm. they're more likely to have the inattentive type.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So in terms of just the medicine aspect of things, the inattentive type Girls daydream, they can be more forgetful, they can lose their belongings, but as long as they're not disrupting the class or Mm. bothering anybody, they can really go unnoticed. Mm. And then I think, you know, we Mm. mentioned sexism earlier. I think culturally, girls are taught to be quiet Mm. and to be compliant and to be studious. And boys are given a pass, like, you know, boys will be boys, so we allow them to misbehave. Mm. You know, so I think part of it, is all of that that mm. comes forward um, with girls. And then I think to make matters even worse, which I know we're going to talk about this later, as girls grow up and go through menarche and begin to menstruate, mm. often for two weeks out of the month, their ADHD kind of goes away. Mm. And then for the next two months, it's a disaster. Yeah. And so half the time they're doing OK, and half the time they're not. and. I think that results in confusion to parents and girls alike. Yeah. So, I mean, girls are more difficult to identify. It is true. It's not yeah. just um, that our system is bad, although our system is bad. <laughs> so um, is but but, it, but, but I, it is more complicated than that. So I can be yeah. a little bit more forgiving of yeah. uh, the medical community.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, the pandemic, we had the world's harshest lockdowns in Melbourne. Like we were locked down for almost a year pretty much. And for me, that's when when the wheels fell off. I, all my usual systems and and coping techniques and ways I was masking, all of a sudden I just, I couldn't function because I'm a stand-up comedian. So I perform and I'm always, I'm always going. I've always got the dopamine coming in. Right, that's stimulating. Yeah, flying by the seat of my pants and just, you know, everything's a bit of a hot mess, but we make it work. And then all of a sudden I'm at home with my three kids and my husband and my three dogs all the time. And I was just, I I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't function. And then when things started opening up again, it felt like everyone else was getting on a fast train and I was left on the platform to watch them speed past me. And I just couldn't get back on the train. And, And in Australia, especially when I started speaking about my diagnosis, a lot of women kind of had a light bulb moment with the way I spoke about my symptoms sure. and then these fad things that are being thrown around and I guess for me the, the pandemic really brought my symptoms to the surface and I imagine that happened for a lot of women also.
2: In all sorts of mental in in a number of mental conditions yeah. the pandemic has yeah. has done that in substance abuse in depression and anxiety we've had an increase in suicides worldwide mm. i mean we can go on and on mm. but you know one of the reasons why i think people are seeing it as a fad if you mm. will is a good thing because social media has been amazing oh, at yes. bringing adhd to the forefront on tiktok on instagram and raising the awareness and social media by and large 80% of my followers are women mm. not just because mm. i have made it of my practice to work with women but 80 percent of i think all of the instagram followers are women it's a primarily female platform Mm. and so Mm. the more women find out the more they know the more light bulbs go off the more people come forward who who are part of that undiagnosed group of girls And so it's a wave of awareness that's fantastic. Mm. Mm. The other thing that the young therapist, I have to say, you know, um, I I just marvel at my peers who are much, much younger than I in the mental health space. They are doing such a great job of blowing up stigma about mental illness. And, you know, I thought, I I wasn't sure that I would see that in my lifetime. And this is really exciting to see that people can just talk about. Their depression or their anxiety or their ADHD, right alongside of their hypertension or their diabetes or whatever, without the embarrassment, because your brain is an organ in your body, just like your liver.
0: Yeah, oh my goodness, yes, he's so <laughs> <You that know? laughs> right. Oh, a lot of questions that came to me when I said I was speaking to you. You're a you're a rock star within my community. Let me just say, it was women who were over the age of forty wondering if they should even bother getting a diagnosis right. because they've self identified as ADHD through doing all the checklists. Then they're like, I'm in my 40s. Why bother? What would you say to them?
2: Well, you know, first it's never too late. Mm. But I think the way to decide for yourself is I, I use three criteria. Are your symptoms, are your behaviors, are what you notice about yourself persistent? They have they they happen all day, every day of the year. Mm-hmm. Number two. Are they pervasive? You notice them at work. You notice them at home. You notice them in the market. You notice them at church. Everywhere you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. And the third one is the most important one. If it's persistent and it's pervasive, is it impairing? Mm -hmm. To what extent do you feel frustrated by your life? To what extent do you feel like there's a cost to having uh, ADHD? sure you manage it well i mean i think the fact that women manage their symptoms so well is another reason Mm. why they go undiagnosed Mm. is because they become good at masking yeah but there's a cost for that and it's exhaustion
0: yeah (laughs) yes complete and total utter exhaustion are you making me teary because i was three for three on all of those things so if we do decide to go get diagnosed How does, I've had a lot of women contact me to say they have gone to see their MDs and have suggested maybe could they be possibly looked at for having ADHD and are often met with skepticism or they're told they're anxious or they're depressed. So how does one go about getting a diagnosis?
2: Well, you know, for starters, you want to prepare your doctor. Right. I I get a lot of those questions too, and then I'll have to say, you know, I'm not going to apologize for my peers in medicine, but I want you to know that most primary care medical doctors, general medical doctors, pediatricians, they see roughly six or seven patients an hour. Mm. Whereas when you're a psychiatrist, I get the pleasure and privilege of seeing one person every 90 minutes, two hours, if it's for an assessment. Mm. So if you are in the middle of your general health visit That you're gonna get 15 minutes a year with your doctor (laughs) and with your hand on their doorknob, say, Oh, by the way, I want uh, it's It's not not, gonna go.
0: Don't drop the bomb at the end of the session. Exactly. (laughs) And
2: you know, I mean, that is kind of what happens. Well, the doctor doesn't have time for starters. Yeah. And so number one, prepare your doctor. Mm -hmm. Call ahead, speak with the office ask for more time. Mm. There is a way in the insurance industry, by the way, here, if if the U.S., if your followers are are U.S. citizens, they can ask for more time Mm -hmm. and the doctor can bill for that. Mm -hmm. So there is a way for that to happen. So prepare your doctor so they know you're coming in for this specific reason Mm. so that they're ready to receive you thoughtfully and not be rushed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Number
2: two. Prepare yourself. And I have got a lot of reels. I've got a couple of reels on this, by the way. So if any of your listeners uh, will follow me at perry.mandanis.md, I'm more than happy to answer their direct messages. I will send them copies of the reels so that they have the content and the information so they can prepare. But basically, it comes down to download one of the good self-assessment screens online Mm -hmm. and take it. Mm -hmm. And then look at where you scored high marks and in those areas where you scored high marks, write down examples of how your life has been affected by that. So, for example, if you scored high marks for forgetfulness, Mm -hmm. um, you might want to write down things like I forgot to pick up my child from school more than once. Yeah, I forgot to pay my taxes on time, I forgot my child's tuition, mm. um, you know, I forgot I have burned so many meals and ruined so many pots and pans, right? Yep. So you need kind of concrete out of your life example. So your doctor, you want to give your doctor a kind of a field trip, yeah. Into your life so they can see how it affects you. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, they're not going to they're not going to get it. So the more prepared you are, the better.
0: Which is very and un-ADHD that, you know, like to be prepared, Dr. Perry.
2: And see, that's the thing. And so I was
0: getting ready to say <laughs> yeah. the
2: very thing that I'm asking you to do <laughs> is the very thing that an undiagnosed person is going to have trouble with. So always ask for help. If you know, this is an important appointment. Mm. Ask someone to go with you or ask someone else to print the thing out and sit down with you and ask you the questions mm-hmm. whatever you need to do to make it happen yeah go show up prepared because you're much more likely to have a thoughtful reasonable outcome
0: yeah yeah because the diagnosis process is the most unfriendly ADHD unfriendly. it's it's horrible i really battled it took me it took me the better part of a year to get you know, because you've got to advocate for yourself, which isn't many women's strong point as a baseline neurodivergent or not. It's we're often told to kind of keep our heads down and and not make a big deal and not draw attention. And so you're really drawing attention to a part of yourself that maybe you don't like. So it's, it's a tough one. Yeah.
2: And there's shame involved with that too. And, you know, I mean, there's so much of that and so much, um, negative, Mm. uh, self-talk that has been internalized for so long mm. um that's a big part of it too I think
0: yeah I mean it's just general shame in being a woman just walking oh. out the door um but mm. I after my diagnosis and I know this is a case for a lot of women I went through I think the seven stages of grief or six or seven yeah but the grief for me was the hardest thing and I'm still dealing with it I still get teary thinking about 10 year old M who was just trying so hard at school and was constantly told, you're not reaching your potential, work harder, try harder. We can see you are smart. Why are you being lazy? You're so disorganized. So all these messages got fed into me. And I tried so hard and I was very, very good at hard stuff and very, very bad at easy stuff. And so my sense of what is an achievement or isn't is, is all out of whack still. Mm-hmm. How, How do we process the grief for, you know, our smaller people, the kids that we were when we were undiagnosed?
2: You know, the short answer is going to be radical acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in a wheelchair, Em. Mm -hmm. So um, what happened to me, and this is a quick little story that I'm using to illustrate. So I, I fell down a flight of stairs after finishing school literally the day I was moving a desk into my office to hang my shingle on the door that said Dr. Perry Mandanis. Oh
0: my goodness. And
2: had to interrupt the start of my career by a year. So here I am in the hospital. Um and you know, that was 30 some odd years ago, so it was a long time. Um I was in the hospital for over a year. Mm. And in the middle of it, I became terribly depressed mm. to the point of paying attention to when the nurses were coming and going. So I was a doctor. So if I needed to steal the supplies that I needed to take my own life, I was going to figure out how to do it. Mm. Now, I realized, thankfully, that I had, you know, crossed the line here. And I, I spoke up the next morning. I told them how depressed I had become because I just was not accepting that I was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. You know, I just finished 15 years of education. Oh my gosh. So, you know, they set me up with this amazing therapist. And he was in a wheel, he was in a spinal cord injury hospital. Mm. So he says, you know, Perry, the only people that I work with are people that have suffered this exact same injury that you have. Mm. And what I've noticed about them over my years in practice is they always land in one of two groups. Group one continues to grieve their loss. They continue to feel sad about it, they continue to be angry about it, but for whatever reason, they're unable to feel it and then redirect it towards something positive. Mm. So their grief never becomes relief. Group two, Mm. he said, are happy people in wheelchairs. Oh my god. It's like happy people in wheelchairs. You know, so like, you know, but that was like. It was so profound that I was not going to have a choice about whether I was going to be in a wheelchair or not. My choice was whether or not I was going to be in group two and be a happy person in a wheelchair, and I was resolutely focused on doing that after yeah. after he said that to me. Mm. So, what I would say to anyone that is experiencing what you said is just acknowledge the grief. It is real. It is legitimate. Do not tolerate in yourself or anyone else that bullshit like "give it time, you'll be okay." None of that is none of that works. Mm. Acknowledge the grief be willing to ask for help, but ultimately it's going to come down to radical acceptance where you feel it, you know, it happened. Mm. It is your reality. And then you have to let it go.
0: I I love, um, you're going to make me cry. I don't, I normally make other people cry. This is not good. <laughs> I love that grief into relief idea. It's just so simple, but it's something tangible I, I can, you can almost like imagine mm-hmm. it leaving your body and like, waves that's really good thank you that you've really helped me already we're, we're in the 18 minutes in, and I'm a changed woman <laughs> along the same lines I still feel a bit of internalized ableism around telling people about my diagnosis yep. and b- because you know up until recently I associated ADHD with 10 year old boys who bounced off walls and shouldn't drink red cordial. yeah so when I when I am advocating for myself, say if I've got a meeting or, or an event and I need to kind of say how I need certain things in place, and they like why, and you say, look, I have ADHD, I feel myself cringe. How do I it almost feels like it's weak or an excuse, or is there enough gravitas to the diagnosis to warrant my requests? Does that make sense?
2: It does. Um, karma, but <laughs> <laughs> Like <laughs> <laughs> Let me say, first of all, in terms of the gravitas, mm. this is something no one talks about. Yeah. I can guarantee you you're not going to find a social media influencer who's talked about it. Mm. But people with ADHD have a three-time greater chance of committing suicide than people who don't have it. So there's a boatload of gravitas that goes with having this disorder, Mm. which I hate calling it that. But in order for insurance companies to pay for it, in order for schools to provide your children with accommodations, we kind of have to buy into the medical model. Mm. But when I'm talking with a person who has it, I don't talk about disorder. I talk about difference. And why that's so important Mm. is that's the path for you to to get beyond being apologetic. You know, it's about self compassion, really. Mm. And I'm not talking about self compassion when you're getting it right. Yeah. You know, anybody can do that. I'm talking about self compassion when you're at your worst. Yeah. And if you can laugh at yourself then and give yourself some grace then, and then just fully celebrate your difference and just be your quirky, forgetful self. <laughs> you know, because I mean? that's who you are, right? Yeah. Once you adopt that, once you allow yourself just to be you. Then it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I don't have to tell people. When I show up, I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. So it's a little mm-hmm. different for you that you have to tell people, but it's part of who you are. And the minute you are have self-compassion, you can do it. And that is the path forward. I'm, I'm telling you, all the executive functions in the world that someone can learn yeah. do not help like self-compassion does.
0: I think also, Dr. Perry, it's the name. It it distills what we have down to kind of one thing, an attention deficit, which I have too much attention. I just don't know where to put it. You know, if someone's got the flu or if someone's got depression or someone's got anxiety, we know what that means. But I think it it, it kind of minimises the complex layered behaviour that goes into having what I have. 100%
2: 100% agree. Yeah. And they've changed the name and made it even more confusing. And yeah. You know, it used to be, you know, so it's horrible. <laughs> and the word deficit is in the title. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, executive function disorder, I've heard, floated around. Um, but
0: that sounds like your office isn't running smoothly, which, look, that is it, correct. it isn't. My my office in my brain is often so we drunk. Need, but there, yeah.
2: there needs to be some sort of descriptive. Yeah language I I I candidly prefer neurodivergence I think it's I say that
0: yeah that's what I call myself neurodivergence and I also
2: think that it it helps in terms of that I'm not damaged I'm just different yes um I think that's really very helpful yeah so but but I think you're totally right I mean I just think people cannot wrap their brain around it no um
0: Yeah, especially in regards to the behaviours I find so hard because I'm really good at, like, getting up in front of 5,000 people and singing and writing shows and running a business when they hear it, especially when I told family members. My parents, too, had a hard time accepting it. They were just like, no, but you're so, no. And you're so, you know, you don't look like that, but you're clever. But, you know, all these things. And it's like how how do women especially convey to friends and family I don't know how to get people to on board and to understand and you know walk a mile in my shoes so to speak
2: you know first of all it's going to take time right uh, especially if it's new for them right mm. um, the first time you tell someone something they have to digest it and they should learn you know if someone cares about you and it's in your family mm. it's reasonable for you to ask them to do some homework it's yeah. reasonable for you to just be honest and respectful and direct and provide them with a website they can read or print some print materials that they can read. read. Um, if you feel comfortable, invite them to attend one of your doctor appointments with you so that a medical professional can tell them and they can ask questions of that professional. Um, That's such a good idea. Us-
0: I've never thought about that.
2: Yes, You know, people take family members, you know, if you get diagnosed with cancer, um, you take your family member with you almost all the time. And a lot of times, you know, patients get upset in their doctor appointments, Mm. and especially people with ADHD. (laughs) They don't hear what you've had to say, right? Mm. So having another person there actually just as another set of eyes and ears Mm. is very beneficial.
0: Mm. That's that's really true, especially my... My husband and I know this is the case for other people. Their significant others, they've gotten used to kind of benefiting from the way my brain is for a long time, and then mm-hmm. I've had to put I've had to put some boundaries in around mm-hmm. not working like a maniac, and because I have combo type I'm, and I probably lean more towards hyper. So when I said no, I can't do all of the things all the time anymore it's often met with a bit of resistance. And and it's it's a hard thing to navigate when your significant other is neurotypical and doesn't really see because oftentimes my husband's like, just do it. Why can't you just do it? And I'm like, Oh, thank you. The ADHD is just leaving my body. I'll just do it. So how do we navigate that within a romantic relationship?
2: Yeah. First, let me say, if you are in a relationship with someone who has ADHD, (laughs) you're going to be disappointed a lot. (laughs) <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that you're going to be disappointed a lot. But let me say, no one, and I mean no one, is more disappointed than the person who has it themselves. Mm-hmm. They're constantly having to confront their feelings of disappointing the other person for some reason. Mm. So I do have a reel about this. I'm happy to share it. Please uh, do. How do you yes. support it? How to be a supportive partner, but you know, I did send all, that
0: to my husband, Doctor Harry. I'll very good,
2: <laughs> very good. You know, you want to radically listen to the person. Mm. Um, don't interrupt them. Uh, they're going to jump around a bit, but my experience with people that are ADHD is they may jump around a bit, but they kind of always circle back. Um, <laughs> don't parent the person. Be a partner. Don't tell them what to do. Don't act like a parent. Be patient. Um, Learning new routines and skills are hard for people that have ADHD. Learning skills and routines are hard for neurotypical people. Mm -hmm. So um, certain tasks might take more time. Um, When you're in a loving relationship, sometimes you have to have difficult conversations and those can be difficult and just make sure you schedule plenty of time for that. Mm. Get up, walk away, come back. Um, And if you're a partner of someone with ADHD, I think something really important is to prioritize what you have to say and share one detail with them. Yes. Don't give them some long list of things and think they're going to hear them all. They're going to hear the last thing you said. Yeah. So try to keep it try to keep it short and sweet and you know and then I also want to mention uh, caution caution caution. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80% of people that have ADHD also have rejection sensitive dysphoria. Yep and sometimes in spades. Now, rejection-sensitive dysphoria is a um, peculiar phenomenon Mm -hmm. that, again, is not even in the DSM yet. It's not a diagnosis. It's not even in the list of symptoms of ADHD, even though clinicians like myself have seen it for a very long time. And there's statistics about how many people have it. Okay, so it is in part biological that this is how your brain operates. Mm -hmm. And people with ADHD, when it comes to intense emotion, they go from one to 100, (laughs) like that. Yes. And so all of that social skills training and anger management training, and you go to therapy, and you talk to your therapist about it, and then you come back and the therapist said, well, how did it work out? And how did, you know, those skills that we, they don't work. Because you go from one to 100 so fast. <laughs> yeah. So what, so what you have to do is if you are a partner of somebody with ADHD who has RSD, you have to learn how to work backwards. Okay. So once the blow up has already happened, once the strong emotions have already been expressed, chances are they don't last very long. I mean, that's the other thing. People with ADHD who have RSD, they re- they recover pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So you want to just fall silent. You don't have to address it. You don't have to judge it. You don't have to do anything other than wait. And then when they're ready, you can say, you know, that was pretty strong. Or I just want you to know I understand where it's coming from, but I still have the right to tell you it hurts my feelings Mm -hmm. when you yell and scream at me or whatever happened. And so do you think that that level of reaction was necessary or legitimate or whatever when we're talking about, you know, the kids spilled milk in the kitchen? Mm. And, you know, work backwards, because what happens after time when you do work backwards people with RSD actually can learn to go from one to 70 and not from one to hundred with absolute practice. Absolutely. So when you're gentle and patient and you allow the emotion to happen Mm. over time, they do learn to monitor and, um, recover pretty quickly. I have to say, if you're interested, there are medicines that help it. Um, the ADHD medicines do not help RSD. What,
0: okay, we need to talk about this. I am Italian also. So I have RSD and I'm Italian. Ah, so okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a double You're layer. The double of, whammy.
2: I'm Greek, so I get <laughs> I, <mean>,
0: okay. <laughs> I have no emotional regulation. I feel everything at 100. Right. My nerve endings are on the outside of my skin. I get right. really passionate and really hurt. I have the capacity to feel personal right. attacks like no one else. So, so, what? what so, some of it you for you
2: is your brain, and some of it for you is cultural. Yeah. And some of it for you, you've already talked about him. Yeah. By the time a child with ADHD, whether diagnosed or not, reaches the age of 12, mm. they have internalized 20,000 negative comments about oh themselves. God. Yeah. By the time they're 12. Yeah. So no wonder they're so defensive. No wonder they're so reactive when they think they're being criticized. You know, like I've already got my boxing gloves on because, you know, I mean, that's just how it is. Yeah. So the ADHD medicines, the stimulants, uh, Ritalin, Vyvanse, Adderall, not very effective for the emotional component of this condition. And I'll tell you, executive function all day the thing that most people complain most about yes is the emotion dysregulation yes that's what's hardest for people that have this they can learn how to keep a planner eventually they can you know whatever but the thing that's the hardest is the emotional component mm. alpha adrenergic agonists, clonidine or guanfacine is what you might ask a doctor about they make your fuse a little longer OK, so that you still feel the feelings more intensely than other people, yeah. but you have a lot more time to use some of those learned skills okay. that you might have picked up. So it's worth asking about because it does show some benefit.
0: I really will, because I need to grow a few first. It's just a flashpoint for me. <laughs> just explosion. So I'm going to look into that. Good to see okay. Now the um the menstrual cycle and ADHD, your video on this was a game changer and it's something. And I also want to talk about menopause too, because just okay. the hormones in general with women, it's not sure. discussed at all because of period shame and menstruation shame. And I've totally really right. been, yeah, we, we just, I really want to get it out there and open it up. So
2: I, I think, do too. Um. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that about you, but I think
2: I don't but think- wait! Now listen, you—you gotta hear this though. Yeah. I got a lot of—I got a lot of flack from women for that, reel.
0: No, uh, maybe American women, not Australian women. I'll tell you right now, they lots love it. Lots and
2: lots of women, lots and lots of women responded quite positively. Oh yeah. The far majority. Yeah. But I got a lot of your—I got a lot of your blaming women for their period. Mm. You're blaming women's behaviors for their period, and you're trying to mansplain our behaviors to us. I got a lot of that. no. But, you know, I still feel like the information is beneficial. It is
0: beneficial. (laughs) And look, as a card-carrying feminist... I mean, I don't have to be female
2: to give you information about hormones. So, So the menstrual period is is basically a four-week cycle. Mm -hmm. And during the first two weeks, or the the follicular phase of a woman's cycle, their estrogen climbs, climbs, climbs very high. Mm -hmm. And when your estrogen levels are high that stimulates dopamine, ta-da! And mm. so you have lots and lots and lots of dopamine during those first two weeks, which is why a lot of women will say their symptoms really do decrease considerably, mm. sometimes to the point of not even noticing that they happened mm. for those two weeks. Mm. However, during week three, oh. when progesterone starts to go up and estrogen starts to come down, as we enter into that luteal phase, all hell breaks loose because the dopamine plummets Mm -hmm. to levels that are even lower than at the beginning of your period. Mm. And that is a time of struggle, tremendous struggle for women. Um, And unfortunately, you know, I have bad news. You asked about menopause. Um, Estrogen by definition goes down during menopause. So that's mm. definitely gonna be a conversation. If you're a female adhd or you should start having that conversation now with your gynecologist so that you learn about what some of your options are. If you're seeing a gynecologist and a psychiatrist, they should partner together mm. because there may be things that can be done hormonally if you're open to that, yeah. um, that your gynecologist can do during weeks three and four. Mm-hmm. And there are things that your psychiatrist or your mental health person can do during to help you during weeks three and four, because my patients will, I teach them how to adjust their meds. Their dose of medicine for their ADHD is going to be different during weeks three and four than it is for weeks one and two. Wow. And you just kind of learn. And the other thing I really uh, coach women to do is pay attention to your cycle mm. and literally take a calendar so that you can make the most out of those two weeks when you're at your best. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you got to get your taxes done, that's a good time to prepare them. You know, if you have to do some chores or whatever it is, if you've got a big project going on at your workplace, try to schedule it during those two weeks because you know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So make the most of that time uh, and use it wisely. If you can, if you can think that way.
0: Imagine, imagine allowing ourselves to be that radically compassionate and and tell people, sorry, this is the two weeks we've got. And then I need then right. I need rubbish. Oh my God.
2: And, or or I just have to do other tasks. I yeah. have to do things that I'm able to do during those two weeks. Mm. Um, things that are more fun, things are mm. whatever it is. Mm. You know, that's a time to be creative if it's stimulating because you get dopamine from that. Mm. So you can sort of, but you know, again, it it involves planning. Mm. And that is a tough thing for people with ADHD. <laughs> Yes. You know, it is.
0: I mean, that's... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So you do specialise in child and adolescent psychiatry and my middle daughter was diagnosed with inattentive type ADHD and my son has autism and I'm trying to navigate that with them and the world and my 15-year-old especially is having a tough time. How can parents of adolescent girls especially support them through the ADHD diagnosis and, and everything that comes with it because she's really struggling and 15's hard enough as you probably remember.
2: To be 15. No kidding. <laughs> you know, I think education, 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 I think it's it's worthwhile having very candid conversations with children mm-hmm. about their brains. Yeah. I think it's also very beneficial to help them understand that they're different. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're defective, Mm -hmm. but that you're different and because you're different, here's what's going to happen Mm -hmm. during your period. Um, I also think routine, 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 routine. Um, Many, many children like yourself um, have a parent that has ADHD where the Mm -hmm. establishment of routines can be difficult. If you happen to be lucky enough to have a neurotypical partner, maybe that person can be responsible for that aspect of the household. Mm -hmm. Um, Advocacy. You, you really have to speak up for your children in the school system. Yeah. Um, you often have to schedule a phone call between the school and the doctor or make sure that you get a report from that doctor because schools, you know, they have limited resources and they often ration those limited resources. So you will have to advocate for your child so that they understand her, so that, I mean, they don't... Uh, shame her Mm. or say things like, "You know, this is the 10th time I've had to ask you to remember to bring in your homework. Even if it is the 10th time you've had to remind the kid to bring in their homework, there's a much better way to help them understand that. Like, okay, I see you've forgotten your homework and um, it's happened a few times. Let's talk about what you might wanna do differently tomorrow. Mm. All right, how would you do that? So you can actually talk them through the solutions Rather than shaming them for the mistake.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, a lot of teachers will be listening to this. What what would you like to say to teachers? How can they best support kids they suspect having ADHD? Well,
2: I do think they need to pay attention to self-esteem development. And I'll say that to parents as well. Mm. Because when it comes to young children and it comes to teenagers, their self-esteem development is the is one of the most vulnerable parts mm. of a child on a good day, much less neurodivergent kids, right? And so if you hear your kids saying things like, I'm stupid, or I can't do that, or what's wrong with me, or I'll never get it, or everybody else can do it, but I can't, be a little bit more rigorous about intervening because that child's already at risk in terms of their self-esteem and their emotional development um that doesn't necessarily have to be medicine mm. but certainly you want to intervene uh, a bit more rigorously if you're a teacher mm. call the parents in um if it, you know uh maybe some connor rating scales can be done in class etc but pay attention to how well someone is socializing mm. uh, particularly for girls you know pay attention to the girl that daydreams or the girl who's isolative, or the girl who's not socializing particularly easily. Those are sometimes very subtle cues uh, that'll tell you something's different. Other girls don't invite her to join them at lunch Mm. um, because this girl's either too much for those girls or just not enough. You know, there's always that kind of element to this. Um, so that's, I, you, teachers have to learn to pay attention to some of the subtleties when it comes to girls. Yeah. The boys are going to be easy. You know, the boys exactly. are going you know. yeah. <laughs>
0: to,
2: yeah. And the other thing is, you know, kids get bullied a lot. So notice that too. You know, if, who's being bullied? Pay attention to that. Mm. That has meaning.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's so true because often, like you said, the girls who aren't causing trouble, why are the teachers going to bother? Like they've got other fish to fry. Just let the quiet girl sit and be quiet.
2: Right. And then, you know, I just think, pay attention to the RSD piece too. Kids who blow up really, really easily and quickly. um, Often people, teachers in particular, will think there's something wrong going on at home. (laughs) Maybe, but it might just be something that's going on in that kid's brain that the parents should be aware of.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love all that. I'm going to practice all of that. It's just, it's also hard because I struggle... And a lot of parents who are neurodivergent obviously have probably will have a child the same as them. Mm -hmm. So being able to work together and call the school and show up to the meetings and remember the emails and all of those things is is tough. So and I do end up feeling really guilty, like why did I miss it in her? Like she didn't get diagnosed until she. And I've been, we've been trying to get something diagnosed since she was six. And first they thought it was dyslexia, and then it was just all these things. And finally, kind of took I got diagnosed, and I was like, oh, hang on a minute. This is what Odette has. So we we went yep. to medication for her and it's been a bit hit and miss. Medication isn't just the answer, is it? There's lots of other things that. Oh, no.
2: Pills yeah. aren't skills. <laughs> no question about it. You need no, a T-shirt that says however, that. <laughs> however, if you can support the health of the brain yep. with some medicine, yes. then children are much more likely to learn and master some skills. Mm. And I have seen them often take less medication as they get older because of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm all for intervening early. I, you know, I hate to, you know, I'm going to get some hate mail for pill pushing. But I think that it's it makes more sense to me to intervene quickly because yep. we do now um, have decades and decades and decades of safety information. Yeah. People that have been on these medicines for their entire life, from the time they were children, now into their 40s and 50s, and nothing's happened. Mm-hmm. So we do have some safety information that I think should help parents consider this and consider, you know, there's a cost to not taking the medicines as well. Yeah. Yeah, and so early intervention, early intervention, early coaching, early medication—if that's the path you choose to take—all um, those things are going to help in the child's full human development. Yes, yeah. um, and 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 that's—I think—that's the most important thing to pay attention to, really. Oh yeah, when I, it comes to kids,
0: I don't have a problem with medication. I mean,
2: I yeah. my
0: life changed completely within half an hour of the day that I was first right. medicated. Like it was like. Holy shit, this is how I'm meant to be. Oh my God.
2: (laughs) That's one of the miracles of working with adults, actually. Yeah. Is they get better so fast. Yeah. Because you develop all of those skills by yourself before you got treated. Mm. Those skills don't go away, they just work better. Yeah.
0: It's true. It's true. (laughs) And can executive dysfunction or executive function be taught? Like, can you, is it something that a muscle that you can can, be? It can.
2: It can be practiced. It can be taught. Mm. You know, that's, that is one of the dirty little secrets about ADHD, though. What do you mean? People with ADHD know exactly what it is they need to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gosh. They know exactly what they want to do. They yep. know exactly what they need to do. But somehow they still aren't able to do what they know. And that's the that is the frustrating thing about it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also what what comes with some sort of level of embarrassment and whatever. I'm all about you know we're lucky enough to live in a digital age. Mm. There's a lot of digital technology that will help. Yeah, there are applications for adults that are flow apps yep. that um, have brown noise and white noise and colorful emojis and rewards that happen and a way to organize your schedule and a way to turn off notifications with all of your other devices so you're not uh, distracted by them. And you can learn some skills that way. Coaching is very effective. There are a lot of excellent ADHD coaches online today Mm -hmm. who are working virtually, who are very, very helpful in helping people practice and learn executive skills Mm -hmm. and executive function. But it really does come down to What's the value of learning it? Yeah, you know, you know what you need to do, but what's the value of this? Because sometimes, if it's not fun, right? Yeah, if it's not fun, if it's not stimulating, if it isn't difficult, like you said, you don't do the easy things. Well, the easy things are easy, yeah. you know. So that's what, you know, whereas the difficult things that are challenging uh, stimulate your brain. Yeah. So um, you have to learn how to. Perhaps partner the easy things with a reward yes. or something that you really enjoy. Um, and I'm all about scheduling the reward. Um, so, you know, um, have you heard of Pomodoro? No. So Pomodoro, P-O-M-O-D-O-R-O, is a technique for managing your time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the way, and, and it's not For people with ADHD, but it works quite well for them. Um, You you learn how to work for 20 minutes and then take a 10 minute break and plan what that 10 minute break is going to be. Yeah, it might be listening to, you know, Beyonce's new album and dancing around your house or whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah, but. When you have a reward in mind, you get the benefit three times. You get the benefit when you're looking forward to the reward. Yeah. You get the benefit when you do the reward. (laughs) And you get the benefit when you look back on, wow, that was fun listening to Beyonce. I enjoyed that. I need to remember to do that again. And so you get the reward three times when you plan it.
0: Yes. But the danger is in that 10 minutes, I'm going to wander off on a side quest.
2: Except (laughs) if you're using a Pomodoro application, you will be prompted to return to your desk. So they're, you know, setting alarms and things. You know, it is helpful. It is very helpful. But it really comes down to what's the value. Yeah. You know, why am I doing this? Why do I care? Mm. How can I make this seemingly trivial chore, like folding the laundry and putting it away or whatever it is that you have to do? How can I make that? worthwhile for me
0: okay now that's that's good gaming I call it gaming the system
2: so totally and yeah. gaming is another great thing to do <laughs> yeah so you know for example people with ADHD love competition oh yeah so I'm just going to use laundry again and I'm not I'm not using that oh, to I know. Have to really explain I'm not have to explain but it. I'm just okay <laughs> so if you know you have to fold laundry take a guess at how long it's going to take you to do it I can fold this laundry I can fold this laundry in 30 minutes I'm like, okay let's set an alarm for 20 and see if we can beat that time. And I'm telling you, It's a trick, but it works.
0: Uh, Yeah, no, I see that. I have baskets. So you can
2: teach yourself, you can teach yourself uh, to do some of these things better, but there will always be challenges, there will (sighs) always be disappointments, and there will always be mistakes. So just laugh at yourself when it happens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure, I'll just laugh. I think we have covered everything I wanted to cover. You are a joy, a gem, a wonderful human working in this space that is so neglected. Is Thank there anything you. you want to leave any woman sitting in her car now, maybe in tears, maybe having an aha moment? What would you like to her to hear from you? Because there will be many, many of them right now.
2: The thing that helped me the most was someone telling me, you're going to have to be a happy person in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. But Ooh. the most important thing I can tell you is if you have ADHD, that's not going to come from learning executive skills. Mm. It's not going to come from using your planner and scheduling things with your iPhone more wisely. It's going to come from self-compassion. You have to find a way to love who you are exactly the way you are with all of your warts Mm. because that's who you are. Mm. And when you can celebrate that person, so much changes. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to mask anymore. You can just be yourself. And it is liberating yeah. when that happens.
0: Yeah. Radical self-acceptance.
2: Radical acceptance.
0: Oh, Dr. Perry, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy day. You're very
2: welcome. It was a joy to be with you.
0: It was a joy I'm sorry to be. Sorry we're so you. far
2: away. I'm sorry, we're so far away. Cause it'll be fun to like, you know, connect on oh, oh, yeah. a more yeah. Anyway. We will.
0: I will, I next time I'm there, I will be contacting you but um
2: do you ever perform in new york
0: i come to new york sometimes i haven't performed okay. there yet but I, I i i have been to new york i'm a only times.
2: three hours away from new york so i would make the
0: trip i would make the trip
2: <laughs> all right
0: thanks dr perry
2: you bet take care you too Bye. this
1: is insulation m with m Rossiano is a Spotify-exclusive podcast recorded at Down the Hill Studios. Hosted by m Rossiano with Michael Lucas. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by m Rossiano, Edited by Ezekiel Fenn at Entente Music. With videos by James Henderson. Socials by Marcello Rossiano Barrow. With assistance from Jem Evans and Georgia Watts. Plus, occasional Offer shelf installs and flat pack wrangling from M's Dad Vinci. Get more Emsolation by following us on Instagram at Emsolation Podcast. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. Join other Emsolators at the Emsolation group on Facebook. The answer is Harry Styles. And please take the time to share this podcast with a friend and make sure you're following us on the Spotify app by hitting the follow button. Thanks again for taking time out to listen to this week's episode and we look forward to chatting with you again soon.